Hey family, thank you so much for joining us here on our YouTube channel. We pray that this sermon touches your heart and changes your life, that you and I would all be conformed into the image of His Son, Jesus. And hey, if you wanna continue to see more word like this and help us get this message of truth, this message of Jesus out to a hurting world. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No man cometh unto the Father except by me. I wanna encourage you to be one of our truth partners. And you can do that by texting truth partner, one word, to 53555 today. And help us get this message of truth out to so many broken people. You and I and the whole world simply need Jesus. We love you. Thank you for being a truth partner. We'll see you back here on the channel real soon. Subscribe, ring that bell for future notifications. God bless you. So if you have your Bibles, go with me to the book of Genesis. If you can't find Genesis, come to the altar now. It's bad. And, um, but we're going to go to the book of Genesis chapter 3. And um, praise the Lord. Isn't it good to be in his presence? Nothing like his presence. Nothing like Jesus. And I hope you, I hope you value. I don't like to get up and preach till I feel his presence in the room. Because I don't want to just give you word. I want to give you word in his presence. That's, that's what makes everything special is him. And so I want to teach you a little bit today. And then I want to um, pray for you. We're going to have communion and send you out into your day. Um, if you haven't had a chance to listen to the last couple weeks, they're on our, our YouTube channel or our website. You can go and listen to those. But I want to start here in Genesis chapter 3. And it says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God hath made. And he said, um, He said to the woman, Has God said unto you, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruits of the trees of the midst of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, we shall not eat of it, neither shall we touch it, lest we die. And the serpent said unto the woman, you shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that was pleasant to the eye, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she ate of it. And she gave to her husband with her, and he ate of it. And the eyes of them both were open. They knew that they were naked, sewed fig leaves together, and covered themselves and made themselves aprons. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the cool of the garden. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said, Adam, where art thou? And he said, I heard your voice. I was afraid because I was naked. God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree? Have you done what I've told you not to do? Obvious answer is yes. Then the man said, the woman that thou gavest to be with me, she gave to me of the tree and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, what have you done? She said, the serpent deceived me and I did eat. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed above all cattle and more than every beast of the field on your belly shall you go and dust shall you eat all the days of your life. Now here's the verse I really want to hone in on. And I will put enmity, everybody say enmity, 
enmity between you and the woman, between your seed, lowercase s, and her seed, uppercase s, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Father, thank you for your word. Anoint me to minister with clarity in Jesus' name. Everybody said, let's give Jesus praise again. Come on, amen? Yeah. Somebody say, I love you, Lord. Now, this, this chapter here in Genesis 3, it says a serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God hath made. You have to understand that when the enemy comes against you, he comes against you with thought. He comes against you with method. Um, that he has strategized it. That's why you cannot divorce your mind from your worship. You cannot become so anointed that you have no intelligence. That you're, if you're going to do something, you need to know why you're doing it. Amen. Amen. If you're going to take communion, know why you're taking it. If you're going to give, know why you give. If you're going to worship, know why you worship. So that Satan was more subtle, cunning, deceptive. That Satan's only weapon is not in his strength or in his might or his, in his ability to control you. It's in his ability to deceive you. In fact, the Bible describes to us what Satan is like. That when you actually see Satan, um, the Bible tells you what your response will be when you see him. I don't know if you know this, but the Bible tells you what you'll say when you actually see him one day. It says, they that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee. Squint their eyes and consider thee, saying, is this the man that destroyed nations and cities and openeth not the house of his prisoners and destroyed the cities thereof? You mean I wasn't fighting nothing but you? You? So his strength is not in his arm or his might or his ability to control you. It's in his ability to deceive you. He doesn't even need to hook you. He just needs to make you think you're hooked. Some of you are, I'm hooked on this, I'm hooked on that. You ain't hooked on that. You just think you are. Well, I think I'm this gender. I think I'm that. See, he don't have to hook you. He just needs to make you think you're hooked because as a man thinketh in his heart, Deceit. And he says that the, the serpent was more subtle than the beast of the field which the Lord God hath made. And the serpent said unto the woman, Has God said unto you, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? He gave her a word test. Wanted to know where she was. See, Satan comes against what you know about God. Listen at this word. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through who? Through God, to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. So when the enemy comes against you, he comes against what you know about God. See if you can make these lights a little brighter for me, just so it helps with the video. Now, if you don't have any knowledge, he doesn't have much to come against. But if you do have knowledge, he'll either try to dilute or pollute what you know about God. So that's why he gave her word test to find out where she was. She says, I'm bad. I've been to creative church. I know what God has said. So he goes, oh, oh okay, I'm going to have to go a different way to get you. So that the serpent is more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God hath made. And the serpent said unto the woman, as God said unto you, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. She says, we may eat of the fruits of the trees of the midst of the garden. 
uh, or the fruits of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, we shall not eat of it, neither shall we touch it, lest we die. So she was right. And then he goes, you shall not surely die. So here he comes with revelation. Watch this, believers. Anytime you get revelation that contradicts the word of God, information, you have to throw that new revelation out. He changed what God said. You can't change what God said. I don't care if you don't like marriages between a man and a woman. If God said it. You, you, you can get married in the United States, don't mean God will accept the marriage. You know, that's biblical. You remember when David had Uriah killed, Bathsheba's husband? He had Uriah killed because he wanted Bathsheba. Nowhere in the Bible does it ever refer to her as David's wife. It, even though David married her, the word of God, God still refers to her as Uriah's wife, which teaches you that which teaches you that the world can acknowledge a marriage that God will not. Just because you embrace it don't mean God did. God says, you can't make me. You, I, I refuse to be a threefold cord that is in disagreement to my word. Woo, help us, Jesus. Praise the Lord. She said, he says, you shall not surely die. For the day you eat of them, your eyes shall be opened and you shall be as God's knowing good and evil. She says, I want to be like God. I want to be like God. Who in here doesn't want to be like Jesus? Everybody wants to be like Jesus, but it's how we go about it. And so when the enemy knows you have good intentions, he'll deceive you into how you go about it. She says, I want to be like God. Adam standing behind her knows it's a lie, says nothing. That's why when Eve partook of the tree, all of creation didn't fall in her because she really was deceived. But when Adam partook of the tree, all of creation fell in him because he knew better and did it anyway. What are you doing that you know better? What does the scripture say? For Adam was first formed and then Eve, and Adam was not deceived. But Eve, being deceived, was in the transgression. Meaning she thought, I really want to be like Jesus. Give me this. She was deceived. Adam was not deceived. He knew better, did it anyway. That's why when he partook of the tree, all of creation fell. And the eyes of them both were open. They knew they were naked. They began immediately to sow fig leaves. This is what disobedience does. Disobedience strips you. Obedience covers you. Disobedience strips you. Makes you vulnerable to things you wouldn't normally be vulnerable to. That's why you need obedience. Obedience covers you. How many of you want to be covered? Everybody say, cover me, Jesus. Cover me, Jesus. Disobedience strips you. Their own efforts, their own attempts, as soon as they picked the fig leaf, it's dying while they're sowing it. This is man's attempt. And they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. And God came to them and said, Adam, where art thou? Everybody say that with me. Say, where are you? People spend very little time checking themselves out. If I ask you, tell me what's wrong with your spouse. I'm glad you mentioned that, Pastor. I got a list. <laughs> We're very versed in what's wrong with other people. Come on. 
We can tell you what's wrong with everybody but ourselves. But the word of God, and when you meet Jesus, Jesus makes you see you. This is why Jesus brings humility into your heart. I wish we hated other people's sin like we hate. I wish we hated our own sin like we hate the sins of other people. Adam, where art thou? Where are you? Not that he didn't know where he was. Be careful when God asks you a question. Before you arrogantly think you can instruct the instructor, you have to think perhaps he's teaching again. God always asks through questions. I think God, I think Jesus asked 130 some questions in the New Testament, he only answered three. Adam, where art thou? Is there anything too hard for God? Am I not the God that I say that I am? Children, have ye any meat? Can these bones live again? He asks questions to direct your mind through the maze of confusion to bring you to a definite answer. Adam, where are you? Where are you? Leadership begins with identifying where you are. He said, I heard your voice, I was afraid because I was naked. God said, who told you you were naked? Who told you? Who told you? Who, who lied to you and you believed it? Who told you you'd never get married? Who told you that you couldn't laugh again, love again? Who told you that you couldn't start a business? Who told you that you couldn't work for yourself? Who told you that you were gonna be lonely the rest of your life? Who told you that God couldn't heal you? Who told you that God couldn't deliver? Who told you that you couldn't be set free? Who told you that you couldn't have joy unspeakable and full of glory? Who, who told you you were naked? He said, I heard that voice, I was afraid. This is what happens when you lose your fear of God, you gain a fear of man. I was afraid, I heard that voice, I was afraid because Adam was not where he normally was. He used to walk with God in the cool of the garden and he wasn't there. You ought to have a place that you meet Jesus every morning that if you're not there, where are you? Where are you? Every morning you meet Jesus. Adam, where are you? He said, I was afraid, I heard that voice. And, and then he began to blame people. He said, the woman that thou gave us to be with me. I wouldn't be in this mess, but you're the one who gave it to me. <laughs> she was no better. She said, the serpent, the serpent beguiled me. The serpent beguiled me. Nobody assumes responsibility, and when people don't assume responsibility, the enemy deceives you into hiding. Yeah. And you can spend your whole life hiding from your purpose and destiny in the bushes of excuses. And it's a subtle deceit. It's a subtle, I'm too old, subtle deceit. I didn't finish my degree, subtle deceit. Well, I never forgave someone, subtle deceit. You'd be shocked at the people who have wasted their 20s, their 30s, their 40s, their 50s, their 60s, their 70s in the bushes of excuses. Rather than taking responsibility for where you are, you will never be who God has called you to be as long as you shove the responsibility for your destiny on the actions of other people. Never. How can you say God is God and then say because of this person you can't make it? 
as if this person had the authority to stop God's plan for your life. Your praise means nothing if when you get through praising, you say you can't get up because of some person. It's time to take responsibility for where we are, for the plan and the purpose that God has for each and every person. She was no better. She, just, she said, the enemy beguiled me, the enemy deceived me. And then this verse, verse 15, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So many people think that this, this situation in the Bible comes up and, and God is like, what are we gonna do? You messed up the whole plan and it caught God off. The Bible says the lamb was slain from the foundations of the world. That God had a plan of escape from the very beginning. And this verse in Genesis 3.15 is the very beginning that we see the hints, the foreshadowing, the foretelling of the answer. That the gospel, the singular message of the gospel, the narrative of the whole Bible is a seed is coming. A man, Jesus the Christ. In Genesis 3, we get our first hint of the answer is the seed. There's a seed, there's a man that's gonna come. He's gonna be born and his name shall be called Jesus and he shall save his people from their sins. And this happened because man fell and the more you walk with Jesus, the more you trust the Lord, the longer you walk with him, the more opposition will come your way. I love, it's been said, the deeper you go in Jesus, the less you take with you. And the gloves come off because you begin to realize how much Satan hates the man from Galilee. The person of the Lord Jesus infuriates hell because the Lord's disposition is totally different from hell. The kingdom of Satan is about self-entitlement and self-promotion and self-lifting up. But the kingdom of God is about lowliness. That God became a man. Not a 33-year-old man, a baby. How do we know that Jesus cares about babies? He became one. How do we know that Jesus cares about the unborn? He became unborn. He became tempted like we are yet without sin. That we have what the Bible refers to as a kinsman redeemer. He knows what it's like to be hungry or hangry, tired, stressed. He knows what it's like to be betrayed by those who said they would never hurt you. And this is all God's plan because what Adam and Eve got us into, Jesus gets us out of. And all sin, all the suffering stems from the fall of Adam. 
All that we face in life comes from this one moment, every cancer, sickness, disease, allergy, pain, divorce, sexual abuse, poverty, war, hatred, racism, bombings, attack, terrorism, fear, rejection, self-loathing, covetousness, lying, hatred, all finds its origin in sin. Which is Adam and Eve turning away from the face of God to talk to a serpent. And that is to say and to declare that you are not enough in the moment, Lord, and I'm going to entertain another conversation. Be careful entertaining other conversations. Be careful turning your face from Jesus to have a conversation about money. Be careful turning your face away from Jesus to have a conversation about a relationship. Be careful turning your face away from Jesus. And I think it's so beautiful to see the message of grace and restoration that can only be found in him. Every answer is found in Jesus. I don't care what this world says. Well, that's just, you know, we need more than Jesus. No, we don't. Jesus is the answer. If every sin, every cancer, every sickness, every pain, every divorce, every sexual abuse, every bit of poverty and racism and bombings and attacks, every sin, every pain that we face in this world is rooted in sin. And the answer in Genesis 3 was Jesus. So if your answer is found in anything other than Jesus, it's a lie. So every answer is found in Jesus because the Father's answer was found in Jesus. I mean, you think about that. Sin has now entered into the world. And the answer that the Father comes up with is Jesus. But you're gonna face a crisis and say it's not Jesus? So if the Father's remedy is Jesus, shouldn't that be the church's remedy? How, why are we running to political people? Why are we running after political parties as if the world was America? The answer is the Lord himself. It's Jesus. What's the answer to your problems with your marriage? Jesus. What's the answer to the anxiety and the depression and the fear? Jesus. What's the answer to racism? Jesus. What's the answer to terrorism? Jesus. What's the answer to, to, to hatred? Jesus. What's the answer to poverty? Jesus. Everything you face, the answer is the Lord himself. Jesus. And something's wrong when we can quote a political leader more than we can quote the Lord. Jesus is the answer. And he took the bruising. He took our pain. He took our guilt. He took our shame. And it was prophesied in the Old Testament. Go with me to Isaiah, Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign 
Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. In Isaiah, go with me to Zechariah. Zechariah 9.9, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, the king is coming to you, and he is just having salvation. Who's our salvation in? Jesus, that he shall come riding on a donkey. How they missed it, I do not know. Old Testament. And you gotta realize that the kingdom is a kingdom of meek and lowliness. He came on a donkey. He was born in a manger. Humility, bruising. How do you become like Jesus? You die. The kingdom is not a kingdom of trying hard. It's a kingdom of surrender. Laying your life down. That's what Jesus said, no man takes my life. I lay it down. And if I lay it down, I have the power to pick it back up again. It is laying it down. Well, I want to serve the Lord, but not, not church people. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. You don't get to separate the Lord from who the Lord's married to. He married the church. I don't know how you have it in your, your marriage, but Joanne and I don't have friends unless they're friends with both of us. Like, I don't have a friend that hates her. She doesn't have a friend that, like, she's friends with him, but they hate me. Like, we're kind of a package deal. You can do it the other way in your marriage if you want. But Jesus isn't going to have a relationship with you, and you hate who he died for. It's funny to me how people come up with their own Jesus, their own God, like their own... It's like, it's not the Jesus of the Bible. It's some Jesus you manufactured. For instance, if you think God hates everybody you hate, <laughs> that's not the God who made you, that's the God you made. I mean, you're gonna be shocked when you get to heaven and you see people there and you're like, what? <laughs> like, Jesus has a relationship with some people that you don't like. Amen. And I know you're like, what? I can't believe he talks to them. Yeah, he does. He like loves them and everything. <laughs> and we're not going to throw out the scripture. We're going to hold fast to the scriptures. We're going to hold fast to the Jesus of the Bible who comes meek and lowly. In the kingdom, it's not about forcing people to serve. We should want to serve each other. Because that's like Christ. We should want to give to each other because that's like Christ. We should prefer each other. I should, we shouldn't have to make it, force people to do it. That should be the heart of the kingdom. How many of you want to be a part of a family that loves one another, that gives one to another, that prefers one another? That's what we're trying to get in our own home. Love your siblings. Give to them. Serve them. Honor them. I don't even want my oldest two boys to sit down and eat until their sisters have been served. What are you doing at the table? Eating. Get up and go get your sister's food. She is six years old. Make her plate, get her a drink, 
a napkin and a fork, and then you can sit down because that is honor. Honor your sisters. A lot of, a lot of, let me say it. I want my daughters familiar with honor. Very familiar with honor. So when they go on their first date at 38, 39 years old, and the guy doesn't pull the chair out for them or open the door for them, they're like, my own brother shows me more honor than you. A lot of women get into relationships with men that they should have never got into because they were not familiar with honor. Yes, you're gonna be hurt in church. But what if your pain within the community of believers was actually meant to make you more like Jesus? What? Yeah. Even if, even if the person shouldn't have done what they, they did. What if your bruising made you more like the Lord? What if he actually does work all things together for the good of them? that love the Lord, who are called according to his purpose. What if he actually does do that? What if it's like Joseph, where you meant it for evil, but God just made it good? And you begin to realize that you never outgrow our need for the cross and the blood of Jesus Christ, the gospel. That this is so important. The cross is everything. That the cross is humility. Jesus came in humility, born in a manger, riding on a donkey, laying his life down, the bruising. We see it in Genesis. This sounds like new. It's as old as Genesis 3. And you can believe whatever new TikTok video you want to believe. I'm going with Scripture. The Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar. God is true. And I'm holding fast to his word. It's the cross. Everybody say the cross. How do I become more like him? You die. So many of us are not willing to do this. Most Christians do not have a prayer life. They don't pray. They just don't do it. And every morning, Satan will offer you a crossless life. Every morning. And you're getting like, you know, I was, I was thinking last night, I was laying in bed, and the Lord brought to me Zacchaeus. Do you remember Zacchaeus? Raise your hand if you went to Sunday school and you remember Zacchaeus. Remember the little songs about Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord. Anybody remember Sunday school? Y'all leave me out there by myself. Bring, bring, I had, bring my ladder. Bring that ladder out. I remember, bring the worship team guys that helped me last service. Come back up here for me. I had this thought last night, so they don't, this is all new for them. They didn't rehearse it already. They don't know what to do. But just stand here in like a line, shoulder to shoulder. And I was thinking about this. And the Bible says that Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. How many of you want to see Jesus? There's like half of you didn't raise your hand. How many of you want to see Jesus? Okay, I just want to make sure. Because 
Um, so Zacchaeus wanted to see the Lord. And he was, he was short. The Bible says he was short. All have sinned and fallen short. I don't care how much money you got, you fell short. I don't care how many degrees you have, you still fell short. I don't care how beautiful you are. You got makeup and eyelashes and fingernails and your hair is dead. You still fell short. Raise your hand if you fell short. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. See, we want to see Jesus, but we're too short. We fell short. And Zacchaeus wanted to see the Lord. I feel his presence in here. He wanted to see him, but he fell short. And he heard that he was coming by. And the Bible says he couldn't see Jesus because of the crowd, because of people. You'd be shocked how you can let people get in between you and Jesus. Read it later in Luke. I think it's Luke 4, I think. You'd be shocked how you can let people and relationships and opportunity or business or money get in between you and Jesus. Between you seeing Jesus. How many of you want to see Jesus? Oh my gosh. I don't know who you want to see when we get to heaven, but I know who I want to see. I know who I want to see. I want to see the altogether lovely, the lily of the valley, the bright and morning star, the fairest of 10,000. I want to see Jesus. Take me to Jesus. And your relationship with Jesus now is determining your proximity to him for eternity. I don't want to just be in heaven. I want to be close to Jesus. And he couldn't see him. And so he, he could tell that Jesus was there and he's a short guy. So he would jump and he's trying to see Jesus. And I'm, I'm, getting, I'm getting a glimpse of Jesus. He's over there. I think I can, I can only see him for a split second. And then he goes, you know what I'm going to do? He sees a tree. He sees a tree. And he says, you know what I can do? If I climb up in that tree, you know what the tree is? The tree represents the cross. He says, I'm going to climb up in that tree. If you would climb up in the cross. That's why Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, if you want to see me, let him first deny himself. Pick up his cross and follow me. Now he's in the tree. And when you get in the cross, when you pick up your cross, you no longer get the glimpse. You get to gaze. And I can see see Jesus and it's not my efforts it's not these moments some of you are getting glimpses of Jesus you get a little glimpse on Monday and 
Maybe another couple weeks go by, I get another little glimpse. And, oh, I remember when I was a teenager, I had a glimpse. And, and it's been 10 years since I had a glimpse. And maybe I'll have another. I don't want to live with a glimpse. I want to have a gaze. I want to stare in his face. I want to see him. And the only way to see Jesus is to climb the cross, to pick up your cross. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. I don't know how you feel, but jumping for a glimpse is exhausting. I'd rather gaze. Give these guys a big God bless you. Give them a big God bless you. Thank you, guys. Gaze at his face. We sang that song, Show Me Your Face. Human beings are the only beings that God made that have intimacy face to face. Face to face with Jesus. That he would turn his face to you. This is the whole heart of a Christian and a believer. Don't let, don't let the enemy convince you that therapy is the answer. Ther a therapy cannot save you from your sin. If therapy was the answer, he would have given us a therapist instead of a son. But he didn't, he gave us his son. If it was trying hard, he would have given us religion, but he didn't, he gave us a cross. Because it's not about trying hard, it's about dying. Jesus died to show us how to die. Where you lay your life down and you pick up the cross. So every morning, Satan will offer you a crossless life and he'll try to get you to settle for a glimpse. Am I helping anybody in here? How many people are tired of a glimpse? Oh, I see a little Jesus over there. Oh, I see a little Jesus over there. And you run across the country to conferences and run across the country to, to, to hear bands sing and hoping to catch a glimpse. Going on YouTube to catch a glimpse, buying books to catch a glimpse, listening to podcasts to catch a glimpse when you could live in a gaze. You could live in his face. If you would climb the cross, if you would take the cross. This is the heart of humility, meek and lowliness, that when you go through pain and suffering and hurt and betrayal, it all helps you become like God. Jesus all of it helps you become more like him you don't exalt yourself you don't lift yourself up Satan's kingdom is I I I will ascend above the heights of the clouds I will be like the most high I will Jesus says no it's meek it's loneliness and I don't want a church that's okay to settle with a glimpse 
I don't want to be a part of something that's okay with a glimpse and we live in the past of what God used to do and how he used to show up. And I remember in my 30s, yeah, I got a glimpse of Jesus. And oh yeah, in my 50s, I remember I had that one little glimpse. And I don't want young people who chase glimpses. I want young people who are sold out. They picked up their cross. They want to live in the gates of his face. They want to live in the gaze of his face. This is his heart for our marriages. This is his heart for our families. That we would pick up our cross and follow him. This is the heart of humility. This is the meek and lowliness of Jesus. Who else would birth a king in a barn? I heard it said this week that he came and the swaddling clothes were symbolic of grave clothes. That the animals were symbolic of him being our creator. That the shepherds were symbolic of the simple and the lowly can come to Jesus. And the wise men show us that the wisest thing we can ever do is bring our treasure to Jesus. This Christmas, with all of the busyness and all of the getting ready and wrapping of gifts and toys and Paw Patrol nonsense in my house and all the other things that are going on and dollhouses and I don't know what plastic food and all the other stuff you gotta have. If you only knew how much plastic food I have eaten in my life <laughs> with eight kids. Make sure your kids know the greatest treasure is Jesus. Make sure on Christmas morning, however you do your day, that you have a moment to celebrate Jesus. That you have a moment to honor the Lord. That we as parents lay our life down for the cause of Christ and model to our children what it means to be meek and lowly. It means we, we get really good at forgiving. Where jo Joanne and I have to get really good at forgiving. Really good at letting things go. Really good at not holding grudges because we do not want a glimpse. We want a gaze. How many, how many of you want to be a part of letting things go really good? I was telling somebody the other day, they were like, I'm supposed to meet so-and-so. I said, oh, you're going to love them. And, I, and they said, really? I said, oh, yeah, you're going to love them. I said, you want to know what they're like? And they were like, yeah. I was like, they're like Jesus. You're going to love them. They were like, oh, my gosh. They are. They're like the Lord. And that's the only way to be like him is to spend time with him. Did the Lord touch your heart today? Yes. The Lord touch your heart today. Hey, I know that this sermon blessed your heart. I hope it's been an encouragement to you to become 
more like Jesus. That's our heart and that's our prayer. He's the X on the treasure map. He is the topic of heaven. Everything is all about Jesus. And I wanna encourage you, get up in the morning, spend time with him, pray, seek his heart, seek his face, and uh, see what he will do in your life. Before you go, I wanna ask you to prayerfully consider being a truth partner. And uh, like I mentioned earlier, it reminds me of Aquila and Priscilla who would, who would help the Apostle Paul spread the message of truth. A couple, a married couple, uh, you know, would just invest to spread the message of truth to so many hurting people. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. He is truth. And you can be a truth partner today by simply texting truth partner, one word, to 53555. If you haven't subscribed, subscribe to the channel, click that little bell for notifications. But thank you for your generosity. So many of you give online, you give throughout the week, all over the nation. And I just wanna say thank you so much. We're using this resource to continue to get this message of truth out to so many broken and hurting people. And uh, we wanna be a blessing to you. And so let us know how we can pray for you. You know, comment below. There's a lot of resources on uh, my website uh, that are available to you. But we want you to know how much we love you. Thank you for partnering with us. Thank you for being a truth partner. We'll see you back here on the channel real soon.